0: So we are actually, uh, uh, much to my sister's delight, um, we are actually going to talk about the song. So we are in the middle of a series called Hymns of Hope. We're actually going through, if you've missed these, um, I've actually super enjoyed going through some of these hymns and diving into some of the uh, theology and some of the spiritual significance of these songs and some of the history. I've really enjoyed going through some of the history of these songs. My wife, every whenever I come home, she's just going... All right, so I tell her all the history. I talk about it it's just so it makes me giddy, and uh, I love this kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about this song, Oh Holy Night," this morning, and what can we learn? What can we dive in from this uh, this song? So let me just let me just say, this song, Oh Holy Night," is um, it's like uh, it's like one of the favorites, and yet one of the most difficult to sing. So, like, when somebody sings it, it's like attacking, like, a Whitney Houston song. Like, are you sure you want to attack that song?
1: Yeah, or yeah, Don't
0: Stop Believing, or whatever, whatever your genre, right? So, it's that song, right? So, this song has been done. I was reading a list of all the people who have done this song. Like, it's, like, from Josh uh, Grubin, he's my my favorite, to Celine Dion, to to Lauren Daigle, Carrie Underwood, Bing Crosby, got a list, Mariah Carey, Mm. Weezer. Weezer, Train, Train, actually Train was a really good version of that song. Uh, John Denver, hmm. <laughs> Christina Aguilera, Aguilera, In Sync, and the cast from Glee have all done this song, Oh Holy Night, Two Degrees, oh, even Hanson, Hanson has done a version which is terrible. <laughs> yeah, who, some of y'all, how many of y'all know who Hanson is? Mm-bop. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah. So and then just that's just a partial list. And actually, I was looking for it. You know, Whitney Houston, it's never been recorded. I was kind of a, I was kind of sad about that. But anyway, but it's funny how like all these different people sings this amazing, spiritual, um, hugely God honoring song. Right. And um, so this song was written. It's very interesting. The history of this, um, like they all are, and um, gotta watch my time. I gotta fly through this. But um, uh, this small town, small parish in France, hired a local um, poet to write um, a song for their Christmas cantata thing. And so, um, so months ahead, so he sent it to this um, poet who was um, in the in the village in the town, who wasn't even a Christian. Right, right. And he, he sent this, and he was hired, a well-known poet in this area, and he was hired to write a song for their Christmas cantata. And so the guy sat down, and he took out his Bible, or a Bible. I don't know if it was his Bible. But he was not a churchgoer, wasn't really into the whole church thing. Took out his Bible, read the, um, the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2, and on a carriage ride from one city to another city, penned out the words to O Holy Night, all three verses to this song. Amazing. And then he sent it. This it gets crazier. It gets sent to, so he sends it to a, um, another guy to write the music to it. He was a poet. He wasn't a musician. He wrote, so he sent it to a musician, and that musician was Jewish <laughs> who didn't even believe what he was writing music for. So that song was taken back to the church. They played it at their cantata and it didn't stop. Like it just, that whole, it just spread. That song just spread until, until the church, the governmental church found out that it was written by a non-Christian and written and the music written by a Jewish person and banned it. Yeah, right? Yeah, I told you, you should read this stuff. It's amazing. They banned this song. They banned the song, Oh, Holy Night. And for 10 years, and 10 years later, skip over the, over the ocean to the U.S., and a guy by the name of John DeWight picked up this song in 1855 and started playing it and started singing it. And he loved it, especially if he was 1855, during the time of slavery and during the time of this whole battle of, of slavery. Really, he loved the idea of the abolitionist message, message, which is in this song. And so, in the North, it was it was spread widely, right? Not so much in the South, but in the North, it was spread widely in the in the North as a as a song of of hymns of, of peace and reconciliation and um, and the value of humanity and all of those things. And uh, it was so. That's the story. Of Oh, Holy Night. Isn't that amazing? This song. And then in 1906, this is interesting, you'll find this interesting a Canadian inventor who actually invented the uh, technology to broadcast things over the airways. So he, the first thing he broadcast, this is historical, this is true. But all the rest of the stuff is true too, by the way. I'm not lying. <laughs> now this is true, all the other stuff is just made up. <laughs> so then, so he broadcast, the first thing that was broadcast was the Christmas story, Luke chapter two. That's the first thing that was ever broadcast over the airways. is Luke chapter two. And then after he finished reading it, he took out his violin and guess what he played? The first song to ever be played over the airways is Oh Holy Night. Isn't that amazing? So that's the history of, and there's other stories of different things. So, so this chorus, this, this first verse, Oh Holy Night, the star- stars are shine, brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. I just picture an atheist like reading, like, it's amazing. It's amazing what the word can reveal as you read the word. Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world, the weary soul, or world, depending on your translation. Weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So what is it about this song? And what is it about the birth of Jesus? And this morning as we celebrate um, at the Advent and the day of peace, what is it about this story that brings this idea of peace? And what is this about the Christmas story that, that like, so why did Jesus come? And really the one word is this. Did he did he come just so that we can have a self-help manual for life? Did he come just so that you can, you can go off and live your dreams? <laughs> One word. He came because the world was broken because of sin. That God, Jesus, came because of and I want to dive into that because we have different ideas of what that even looks like, right? We have different ideas of what that even, the concept is. So Jesus came so that people can stop smoking cigarettes, like we would say back in, we, so Jesus came so that, so that um, you can stop blah, 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 this bad habit or these vices. And, but he came for, yes, those things, but he also came because of the effects of sin. See, we have, and what, what am I doing this morning? I want to make sure we understand this morning what peace on earth means. What the uniting of God and man through the blood of Jesus means. I want, because there is so many uh, of, the basic message of the gospel, I'll say it like this, is being lost to the self-help stuff. And does God do self, does God do God help for us? 100%. Does he help us in our everyday lives and difficulties in our lives? 100%. But if we don't understand the baseline reason why Jesus came, then we'll we'll misunderstand, misunderstand? Misinterpret what scripture is trying to teach us about sin. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, just through my mind just now, I just thought of, like, all these, um, if you grew up in a really, maybe a old traditional, um, some denominational church where they just preached on sin. You know, and the wages of sin is death, duh, you know. And there was almost like, that, that excites you about death. It seems like from how they preached that, like, something about that did something inside of them, like, yes, I'm preaching against sin, you know. But the truth is, humanity, you and I, since Adam and Eve, have this notion that we want to do life, and we want to define what's right and wrong according to our standards. And that has consequences. Living a life that we define right and wrong has consequences. So we do, we try to do things our own way, like we do revenge instead of forgiveness. We do hatred instead of love. We choose greed and miser instead of generosity. We live to please ourselves at the cost of others it's an upside down world. It's a world I mean upside down from God's perspective. Right? It's a world where where the, when we say um uh, that definitions of right and wrong, we need to understand that it's God's perspective of right and wrong and we submit our ways to him. So many will say like, "Well, I'm a good person." You know? I see I just see these other people I don't do that. I don't do that bad thing. I'm a, I'm a really good person. But here's the problem. According to who? According to who? See, um, like what Jessica Field said the other night when we were at our Bible study. So um, we're actually doing a study through the book of Romans. And in the first part of the book of Romans, it gets pretty, doesn't it, Rex? It gets kind of it gets kind of, like you're like, oh, man, we're like worthless people. Like, we're all terrible. And Jessica, yeah, we're stuck. And Jessica said it's so good. If there's good news, then that means that there's bad news. If there has to be good news, that means that there has to be bad news. And the bad news is that we have all done our own way. You say, well, I'm a good person compared to the other fallen person that you're comparing yourself to. You're you're comparing yourself to somebody else and their definitions of right and wrong that may be contrary to even God's definition of right and wrong. There's a whole thing that's going on right now that would look at us as believers saying, your definition of right and wrong is wrong. And you're wrong because of your definition of right and wrong. And you're the bad ones. Amen? We're living in the same world. So, but when you live without a concept of who God is, you make up your own rules. You make up your own definitions of right and wrong. So Paul... (laughs) goes on this journey in the book of Romans. And he goes on this journey of many times complicated speech, and especially in a Western ear, complicated, hard to really grasp, like where is he going? And thank God Paul lands several times. He says this in Romans chapter 3, when he throws down this gauntlet, when he's talking about all this, um, all this uh, the, that, um, about sin and the results. He says, what then, in verse 9, are we any better off? Not at all. For we, are, we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Can you imagine being a Jewish person and go No, 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 no! Wait, 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 wait! Let me put. Let me tell you why that's not true, Paul. He says, "All have turned away; all are alike and have become worthless. There is no one. I told you if there's good news, there's there's bad news. There is no one who do, does what is good. Not even one. Their throats, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers, venom is under their lips." Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their path. I'm just going to keep reading. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now before you go, yeah, Paul, get them. I want you to understand that word all includes you and me. As I point my finger to other people and things, I'm also pointing back to me because all includes me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, he continues and says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he says this, and where I want to land a little bit for a moment, is Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when you think about sin, I want you to think about sin in a little bit different light this morning. With that underlying idea that the wages of sin is death. Is death. This idea, let me read my, I want to make sure I, so this idea of sin What it does is it separates us from the life that is in God. When we do things contrary to Him, it separates us from the life of God. And Jesus came, I said, I came to bring life. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but to bring that connection back so that God's life can again flow into our lives. So individually, When we, when people around us, whoever, humanity, sins, it goes against God, chooses their definitions of right and wrong, chooses greed over generosity. They choose hatred over forgiveness. They choose self-gratification at the cost of other people. Well, you say that, well, that only affects me, does it? Take some of the industries that are being funded by people that are saying, well, it doesn't only affect me. And so individually, it brings death into our own lives. But also, hear me, maybe it'll help you better understand the world that we live. It brings death to a culture of people. What we see in our world is not just the results Let's say it this way. What we see in our world is a direct result of people determining right and wrong under their own ideas. And it brings death to a culture. When Jesus begins talking about the kingdom of God, he starts talking about what the kingdom looks like. Notice it's all about, not all, but a lot of the way we treat other people. how we interact with others, and how we we function as our humility towards God, even to the point of, of, hey, when, when you pray, go into your room where nobody can see you. When you fast, don't let anybody else know. It's between you and God. Because the guy who stands up and goes, look at me, I fasted for 40 days. And the other person is going, man, I can barely go like, I can barely not eat pizza today. So you create this weird imbalance, right? Of, of you're good and I'm not good and you're better than I am and all this other nonsense. So when we, when that happens, it creates turmoil and, and death in a culture. So what we see in our culture is, it's the old adage. I'll say it like this. So I used to work in a um, car dealership for the most of my working. I mean, I work now. Believe me. But most of my uh, my job, my career, whatever, whatever that is. um, I used to work at a car dealership, and for years I worked at car dealerships, and I worked in the parts department of of dealerships and sold parts and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't the great glamorous job, but it provided for my family and all that kind of stuff, which is good and holy and godly. And um, so, one of the things that we would see is every once in a while, somebody would decide that they're going to put diesel fuel, amen, say it again. Isn't that right, Johnny? You see it. Put diesel fuel in their gas tank. Cars don't run on diesel. Diesel runs on diesel. Diesel trucks run on diesel. Diesel cars run on diesel. Unleaded cars run on unleaded gasoline. Completely different combustion idea, completely different way. They were working at right, John, am I, am I telling the truth? And so what would happen is not only, it wasn't one of those things where you could just jack the car up in the air and drain all the diesel out. Especially now, if they caught it before, they turned the engine on. But many times, that's where they would realize they made a terrible mistake when their engine would quit. Oh, yeah. Yep. And um, George over there, works on cars. Or, yeah, works in the parts department. It works on cars for years. But if you crank the car up, that means all that diesel fuel went all through the lines, all through the injectors, and into the engine. And if you didn't blow your engine, you are ah, you had a good day. But that meant thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of repair. And, you know, you can't just do the gas tank and undo the gas thing and just let the gas pour, or the diesel fuel flow out and just refill it. It doesn't work that way. It's a bad day. Don't put... What did you learn in church today? Don't put diesel in your gas tank. <laughs> I don't know how they did it either, because they make that little constriction. I don't know. People are amazing. Right and wrong under their own. <laughs> <laughs> and then they put fuel. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's- yeah and they put fuel in a diesel. Same results. Gas in the diesel. Yeah. It's amazing. We would see we just shake our heads. We just had to sit at the parts department, write up a parts list of what they needed. Already know. But you know what? People do the same thing. They try to run their lives on diesel when they were meant to run on gas. They would try to run their lives on things and making their, up their own rules and their own definitions of right or wrong instead of submitting their lives to the creator, the one that created them, who knows exactly how their car runs. I mean, the person. Mm-hmm, and the per- person runs how exactly what's going to make them happy is what's going to fulfill their lives. And they try to run their life on something that they decided what was right and wrong. And that brings destruction. And so that coworker is kind of a jerk. Wonder why? Could there be a reason? Could it be a reason why maybe, like, you, you don't know. You just don't know. You don't know what family stuff went on in that kid's, that, that person, your coworker's life? But because of that dad's, and maybe that dad's insecurities produce insecurities in their kid, and that kid is now, the only way they know acceptance is to yell at people and, oh, I'm going to win, I'm going to charge and go. The cost of all these poor people in their wake. So then the song says this, long lay the world in sin and error. And then they use this word, pining. Pining. you know what that word means? Neither did I. So I looked it up. This word has to do with this. Um, I just, hey, we're pining, yeah, pining, I'm pining, or whatever. But so I read, so listen, the word means this. It has the idea of this. It's this longing of some un- unfulfilled hope. It's this longing of this unfulfilled hope. And when you look at the people around you, we should see them in a different light of people that are, there's this longing on the inside of them uh, for an un, I've tried this. I've tried this relationship. I've tried this drug. I've tried this, whatever. i tried to be successful. I've tried money. I've tried all these things. And it, what does it leave me with? Nothing. Emptiness. Long lay the world. And sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth the thrill of hope, church. But that sin leaves people with broken relationships, anger, hostility, broken homes. Our hearts were made for union with God, with the life of God. When, see, when, when Jesus says, I come to give you life and life to the full, and I've also come to relieve sin out of your life, he's talking about the same thing. The life of God, and we're, we're connected with him, and we bow our knee, and we submit our ways to his ways. God redeems us. All of this, the things that we do, and not just them, it's us. We still do. It's like little Samuel. Sometimes that God comes back out of the water. How many of you got that same guy that comes out back out of there? Oh yes. Anyway, um, yes. The wages the so when you look at that, so I want you to see when it says the wages of sin is death, that should be obvious. I, I believe there's something about where the world becomes darker, the lighter light is greater. There's something tied to that idea that we should be able to see the effects of a people that have turned their hearts away from God and the destruction and the things and the bad stuff that happens. And the... the way we treat one another. It's interesting in that song that that as he read that thing, he equi- he understood the idea of slavery being an abomination towards God. Because how do you reconcile those two things? Owning a human, right? He says the slave is our brother. There's like this reconciliation idea that comes. Again, wait, I'm gonna, I wasn't going to say this, but, but, but the truth is once you get this right, this starts getting right. This relationship first, and then this relationship starts becoming Correct. So what do we do? And that Bible study that we had, it was like, now what? We're terrible. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two, step away from Romans for a minute. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy. I just heard that, and even in my spirit, like maybe you thought that God was angry and mad And I can't wait to punish the evildoers. That's not what scripture says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses or sins. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up. Remember, we taught on Ephesians that the language of raising us up together with Christ, that we have also been raised with him. He's also raised us up with him and seated us with him in heaven and in, in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter five and verse eight, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that in Romans, he can say in verse 10, so that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The one who with his heart, uh, the one believes with his heart resulting in righteousness. The one confesses with his mouth unto salvation. Redemption has been made for us. But let me let me make a maybe a correction. And I don't think it was on purpose. But this is what we've said. Somebody gives an altar call, you come down, you pray this little prayer, and then you're good. I believe yes. in my heart. I said some things with my mouth. I'm good to go. So think about this. So who was Lord in the days when Paul wrote this in Romans? Say it again. Caesar. So for you to say with a confession of your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's a big deal for a Roman. That's a big deal for a Roman. Like, it's a big deal for somebody in the other parts of the, the known Roman Empire. That's a big deal in Rome. But let me just say, you know, who's, you know who's Lord? Jesus. It's mine. You know who calls the shots? Jesus. It's not just this little Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. It is a, what's this? It is a, you know who my king is? Jesus. You know who defines right and wrong for me? Jesus. You know who directs my steps? Jesus. You know who decides what I should and shouldn't do with my own life? Jesus. We've told people, all you got to do is just pray a prayer. That's a start. Does Jesus forgive you? 100%. Every time. Every time. Am I here to bash your salvation? No. Are we all a work in progress? Amen. Amen. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Is that the right way to say that? Okay. All right. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You, let me just go ahead and say, man, some of you, like, you show up to church, like, almost every Sunday. That's that's some commitment. Some of you are struggling in your walk with God, and you got some stuff that's going on, and you're struggling. You know what the struggle tells me? You're probably okay. You're good. I like what somebody said, that trying counts. Because you know who you're trying who you're following. But we are people who have I made a decision that David is not king. David is not Lord. The world around me doesn't decide what's right and wrong for me. I have one king. And when I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong. You always fix it. Most, sometimes. None as I switched and said, most, sometimes. I definitely disobey God. Definitely. You know what's the good news? This First John 1, 9, speaking to Christians, says that if we, Christians, Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all the unrighteousness, all the the sinful stuff that we've done. Cleansed you, made you different. You know, cleanse. Like your, your blanket smells terrible. You've been using the same blanket on your couch for like, you know, four months. And you're like, man, this thing's rank. It's time to cleanse it. And it comes out smelling downy fresh. That's what God does for us. Like it never existed for you and me. But it comes because I bowed my knee to the king. That's why there's this conflict between James, who says, I'll show you what I believe by what I do. There's this big theological fight that's gone on for. You say by your works, or you say by grace. James is this, and they work together. James says, I'll show you what I believe by what I do. And Because, listen, we are supposed to be people that push God's kingdom forward. You know what should flow out of us? Generosity. Goodness. Love. Peace. Because my peace is not dependent on my circumstances. My my peace is dependent on who God is. That I can walk as a different kind of human. I love what uh, my sister and Jerry are doing. Because they're showing people that never have heard the gospel, never have known Jesus. They're showing what that looks like in a home. If we confess Jesus is Lord, hmm. the idea of shalom, oh, goodness, it's later than it's ever been. Y'all give me, y'all give me five minutes, five minutes. Give me five How many you give me five minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 45, 50. Praise the Lord. Shalom. You know what shalom means? It's not just a cease from hostilities. It's not. It's not just the end of fighting. It's when shalom happens, when two people are fighting, and they actually come together and unify under a common purpose. And they start working together. It's not just a, well, I'm still mad at you, but I'm mad at you. No, they actually come to shalom. Happens. Shalom has to do um, Bible project. Watch this video; it's amazing. The um, the shalom has to do with this. um, This, um, like when a uh, a wall has no flaws in it, it's made shalom. It's made whole and right. Jesus came to make us whole, to bring shalom to us. Not just the end of. It's, I didn't t- test it all out, but maybe some of my scholars can do that for me. But this the idea of shalom and salvation is very similar. The salvation has to do with wholeness and making you whole. And the end should be, and what the church should be, is people who have been united back with Christ. And now the kingdom starts happening in a, in a body of believers. And then not only that, the kingdom starts going outside the walls and start looking vastly different than the world outside these walls, bringing the life of God everywhere we go. Can you imagine what forgiveness looks like in our world today? Can you imagine what generosity looks like in a world that's so fearful? They, I used to say, like, they, they squeeze George Washington until he cries. They hold their money so tight. But that generosity, the idea of giving, and this is just not all for me. It's to give and be a blessing. That looks so different, doesn't it? Let's all stand together before I just keep preaching on forever. So the only thing that I'm changing in my in what our verbiage is simply this. When we ask people if they want to get saved right we need to make sure we're under it's talking about the same thing years ago in, in the in the olden days what they would say is you come down forward and commit your life to Christ Baptists are so good at this come down and commit your life to Christ it's not just come down and have your sins forgiven that that's in the package that's in the package hear me But as I commit my life to Christ, it's not I that lives; it's Christ who lives in me. And I choose. Listen, I choose the continual the life that I'm connected with the life, the continue to live my life connected with Christ, who is the life giver. And that life comes out in the in my life and the people around me, my relationship with Him. I don't bring destruction into my own life. Amen. And when somebody struggles in this church, we're there for them. Like we said, if, somebody, if you know somebody that's struggling an addiction in our church, because there are people who struggle with addiction in our church, that's not okay with me. Meaning, how can we help? How can we come alongside and be there for somebody? And link arms and say, you're not alone. You're not condemned, and you're not alone. No matter what it is. The everlasting gospel, right here, today. When... So over the years... I've heard some pretty wild things that people have come into my office, talk to me about. And sometimes you just, I'm gonna put on a brave face. Like inside, you're going, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Holy Spirit, I need your help right now in this very moment. Let's just pray. And and um, but you know what's wonderful when I can look that person in the eye. As Jesus looked at the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. He says, There's no accusers in this room. For me to be able to look at somebody and go, There's no accusers in this room. I don't condemn you. Now get up. Let's walk this thing out together. Amen. Because that's peace with here, peace here. We're all in work in progress. But I don't know about you, but I'm determined to bow my knee to him and choose to do life and live in peace in my own heart because I have peace with God through reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Just bow your heads right where you're at. Well, since we said all these things, maybe you're in this room. And you have said, you know, I know that I've done this Christian thing as a kind of a religious duty thing. And I know I've kind of, kind of in my head acknowledged those things, but maybe you just want to make that decision this morning. And you say, I want to, uh, I want to commit my life to Christ. I have seen, I have tried to do it in my own way. I have tried to do life the way I saw fit, and man, it just hasn't worked. And I haven't, I'm, uh, and I've just treated Christianity as kind of a thing. I've never really considered Jesus as the one who leads and guides my life. I haven't really committed my life to Christ and committed my life to his ways and made that a part of my life. And you've never done that this morning. Now, if you're a Christian and you know you're good, you're good, I'm okay. But I'm not talking, I'm talking about there's somebody maybe in this room that you say, I really need to make, I've never done it before, but I need to make a decision and commit my life to Christ this morning. If that's you, I'm not even gonna call you down God I can do it right where you're at. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right, just where I can see it. Nobody else, I can, just so I can see it. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand right where, you can, where I can see it. Amen. 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 Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, we look to you. We thank you. For your goodness. We thank you that you love us. Put your hand on your heart. Let's make some declarations over our hearts this morning. Hmm. Say God. I thank you. That through Jesus. He made peace between me and you God. I am made right before you. Holy blameless before you, God, because of the blood of Jesus and the work of the cross. I receive peace in my own heart. In Jesus' name, God, help me to bow my knee to you. I choose you, God, and the ways of Jesus. And I receive your life in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Now, as you go, you're going to run into people who don't have the peace that you have. Don't even have the direction that you have. Let's go out and go be a light to people. Amen. And show them. He says, they will see your good views. They'll see your good works and glorify God. Let people see your good works this week. Amen. Love people this week. In the middle of a crazy season. Even at Walmart. Crazy. Crazy. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing week. Amazing week.